0: Uh, if you can't move forward, that would be a great help. Isaiah 33, we're going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 5 in our opening. And I, I anticipate this taking us at least two weeks. There is a lot in this chapter. And Isaiah 33 is tied to a story back in 2 Kings. And so we're going to be flipping back and forth between 2 Kings and and Isaiah 33 throughout the passage, reading chunks of Scripture out of 2 Kings. Let me just say to you, most of you are here on Wednesday evenings on a regular basis, but let me just remind all of us, this is a Bible study. Okay, this is where we dive below the surface a little bit more than just a surface uh, message. We're we're diving deep, and so never get bored with the Bible. Come on Wednesday evening expecting to dive deep, uh, to maybe try to understand some deeper things, and grow in your knowledge. And so get your Bibles out. Get, get ready to use them. Follow along with me tonight, and you'll enjoy the experience that much more. Let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's Word for those that are able to do so. Isaiah 33, verse 1, down through verse number 5 says, Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou wast not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. Uh, when, thou, uh, when thou shalt cease to spoil... Uh, thou shalt be spoiled. And when thou shalt make an end to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. O oh Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their aim, their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult, uh, the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself, uh, the nations were scattered, and your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar as the Running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. Look at verse 5. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He, uh, He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. Now, this passage is historically dealing with the Assyrians when they tried to invade Jerusalem under King Hezekiah's rule. And God would bring about a mighty victory, an awesome victory, for the Jews, for the Israelites, uh, in this place, in this time. And these verses will begin to make sense as we connect them like Legos into the story back in Second Kings chapter 19 and 20. We're going to do that this evening. I, I, I do want to say I believe there is also a secondary prophecy going on here as well, and that has to deal with the Antichrist and the end times. That one's a little more read in. Um, I think the, the the primary interpretation is... Hezekiah, and Sennacherib, and Assyria. But I think a secondary interpretation or understanding could be that of the end times. We are not going to tackle the end times angle on this tonight. Um, encourage you to do that study on your own. It's, it is an interesting study. But we are going to be looking specifically at the uh, attack, how this is attached to 2 Kings 19 and the history there. Look back at verse 2 with me. And here we find our title Here we find the people of Judah praying, people of Jerusalem praying, O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. And I believe that the story here fits so well with our series on Sunday mornings. We're looking at prayer on Sunday mornings. And here we find the power of prayer in Isaiah 33. The title of the sermon, the Bible study, over the next couple of weeks is going to be this, When God's People... Pray. When God's people pray, never, ever, ever think that prayer uh, is not necessary or important. Uh, prayer is—it is a big deal. And when God's people pray, God listens. And when we pray according to His will, He acts in a powerful way. And so we're going to see that tonight in action. Isaiah 33 would seem vague without context. Second Kings 19 and 20 provide that context. And I hope tonight you'll plug in, engage, and understand what God has for us tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, we have come to your throne already several times as a church, but Lord, you never get tired of us coming to you. Week in and week out, service in and service out, and even in our own prayer lives, day in and day out, moment by moment, Lord, I I hope that there's someone from this church regularly approaching the throne and speaking to you. Lord, as a church family, we pray several times in the service. I know you never get tired of it. Tonight, Lord, during the Bible study, give us the energy, mental strength we need to understand and grasp the truth. Many have worked all day. They're tired, uh, mentally frayed, physically frayed, going through things in life. So, Lord, maybe even spiritually and emotionally afraid. But, Lord, help us to be rejuvenated and strengthened tonight by your word. Lord, help us to dial in and understand it. Help us to be challenged by what what, uh, what we hear and understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Prayer is a powerful thing. Prayer is something that um, God has called us to do. Uh, it is one of these uh, is one of these commands in Scripture that is both a a requirement to be a good Christian, and it is a and it is a a, a joy to get to do. It is a privilege. There's the word. It's a privilege. Prayer is a privilege. It's a privilege to know that you can pick up a phone and call any person that you want uh, of great power and get them on the phone and make your petition known. Boy, that would be wonderful to be able to call the richest of rich people on planet Earth or to call the most powerful politicians on Earth and voice your political opinion and, and, and have sway, voice your economic opinion and have sway, boy, that'd be neat. That'd be great to have that power and that understanding and that ability, but uh, we have an even greater opportunity and privilege, and that is to bypass any king or president, prime minister, to bypass any uh, person wielding power through money. We can bypass all of that and go to the man who owns all the wealth in the world, go, uh, go to the God that owns all the wealth in the world, and go to the God who is overseer and in charge of every political power in the world we have a God who knows everything can do everything and yet has an open ear and an open invitation to us to go to him anytime we want and I've got to tell you uh, and I'll share some of this I'm sure in the next couple of Sunday mornings uh, uh, personally I've battled with uh, the uh, the relevance of prayer as a Christian I have I've battled with the relevance of prayer as a Christian and Part of the reason why I have battled with it is I have falsely had the thought from time to time, why do I need to pray when God already knows everything and is going to do His will anyway? And I wonder tonight if anyone else ever thinks that way. Maybe I'm the only one that has thought like that. I don't know. I've not really sat and talked to other people about this, Uh, but I'm just sharing with you from my heart how that throughout my Christian life I have battled with why should I pray when God's already going to do what God's going to do. And the realization I have come to to through studying and reading the Scripture is that prayer really does move the heart of God. Prayer really does get God to move into action. Prayer really is our way of getting God to accomplish things. And uh, I'm not going to take away from anything I'm going to say uh, in my Sunday morning series here, uh, so I'm going to be careful uh, about how specific I am. But, I'll just say this, prayer matters and prayer works. Prayer changes the heart of God and prayer changes the heart of the one who prays. And prayer moves God into action and prayer also can move us into action. And God wants us to pray. He wants us to come to Him with prayer. And when we do, God accomplishes great things Because of our prayers. Here we find the Israelites, specifically the Jews in Jerusalem, in a very bad spot. They're being threatened uh, greatly uh, by the Assyrians and the Assyrians have already carried away the 10 northern tribes into captivity and as we'll see in a few minutes in scripture in 2 Kings 19 they've gone through Judah and they the southern two tribes they've gone through Judah and they have taken over many villages and cities and towns and they're right at the doorstep of Jerusalem and, and, and Jerusalem militarily is no match for the Assyrians and they're forced on their knees in. Prayer, and when God's people pray, God steps in and does some great things. Let's jump into Isaiah 33 this evening. I'd encourage you to flip over to 2 Kings 19, um, 18, 19, and 20. Stick a marker over there. We're going to be flipping back and forth between 2 Kings and Isaiah 33 this evening. Uh, one neat thing about the Bible, if you're still kind of getting to know your Bible, is that the Bible is not laid out chronologically, all right? The Bible is laid out according to uh, types of books. So, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Moses wrote those books, and uh, those lay out uh, the, the foundation. Those are the books of the law. Uh, and then you have uh, Joshua up through, I believe, um, Nehemiah, and those are history books. And then uh, you have Psalm over to, let's see, Song of Solomon, and those are... Poetry books. So you see, they're laid out that way. And then you got Isaiah out through the end of uh, the 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 long prophet books, prophetic books. And those are the books of the major prophets. And then you have the shorter prophecy books. Those are the minor prophets. So the Bible's not laid out chronologically. Uh, It's laid out according to types of books. And what you find is that when you read through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and then you read through the prophetic books, that those two intertwine. They work together, they intertwine, and there's an overlap of history. So as we're reading Isaiah 33, Isaiah lived during the era of 2 Kings 18. And so we'll find Isaiah mentioned here in 2 Kings 18, and then we obviously find Isaiah in his own book that is recorded here in Scripture. And so we're going to flip back and forth between the two because they were at the same time in history. Let's jump right into the outline tonight. encourage you to take notes as we go. Notice number one, the pride of God's enemies the pride of God's enemies look back with me at isaiah 33 and look at verse number 1 isaiah 33 look at verse 1 and this is speaking about the assyrians it says woe to thee that spoil us well who did they spoil they spoiled the ten northern tribes uh, on the command of God. By the way, they were commanded by God to do that, led by God to do that. But they were to stop after the ten northern tribes. Did they stop? No. They continued attacking Judah when that was not what God wanted. And so, woe to them that spoil us. is speaking of the Assyrians, and thou uh, and thou wast not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not. Treacherously with thee, when thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled. This is a prophecy that came true. And when thou shalt make an end to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. Uh, the Assyrians here are lifted up in their pride. They believe that they're great. They believe that they're mighty. They believe that no one uh, will ever overcome them. They are a great nation. Uh, they're taking over territories and expanding their government. And, and at some point, uh, God says, you're spoiling nations. You're going to be spoiled. You're dealing treacherously with people. You're going to be dealt treacherously with the same. Look at verse number 11. Look at verse 11. We see the same thing. Ye shall conceive chaff you shall bring forth stubble your breath as fire shall devour you know that idea of conceive conception uh this is the idea of being pregnant impregnated and they think they're going to birth victory instead they're going to birth emptiness and uh, they're going to they're going to be nothing more than stubble uh what is stubble i like to i like to think in terms that are simple right uh, when i cut my lawn and I, uh, the blower blows the, the, the blades of grass out on my uh, driveway or sidewalk, you know what that is? That's stubble. And then the wind just blows it all over the place. That's nothing, right? That's just the leftovers after you cut your lawn. And, and, and God says here through Isaiah to the Assyrians, hey, you're going to be nothing more than chaff. Uh, you're going uh, to bring forth stubble, and then your own breath of fire that you're using to devour countries is going to turn around and devour you. Now, when I think about this, I think of a verse in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 that's much easier to remember than verse 1 with... uh, treacherously, I have a hard time saying that word, and uh, uh, the the wordiness of verse 1 is made much more simpler in Galatians 6-7, I'm going to do my best to quote it from memory, and so those of you at home, Brother Joe's going to put it up on the screen, if I don't get it word for word, show some grace, amen, Uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, did I get that right? I think I got that right. All right. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We understand this, the principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Hey, Assyrians, you have sowed uh, a treachery and you have spoiled country. countries. One day that's going to come back on you. Go back over to 2 Kings. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 18 and look at verse 13. 2 Kings 18 and look at verse number. 13. So let's begin to get some of the backstory here of what's going on laid out here by uh, the uh, author of 2 Kings. Look here. It says, Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. So he's come into the province, the nation of Judah. Little town by little town, he's conquering them. Look at verse 14. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended Return from me, that which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah does not have this silver and gold. So look what he does, verse 15. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. At the time did Hezekiah, look here, look look what he had to do to come up with his money. Cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord, and from the pillars which Hezekiah, the king of Judah, had overlaid, and gave it to the king of Assyria. What in the world? He's, uh, yeah, yeah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is pressing through. Cities are folding in Judah one at a time. And, uh, uh, Hezekiah is, I mean, he's trembling, right? He's scared. He's afraid. And so, uh, he says to Sennacherib, listen, uh, I'm sorry we've offended you. What do we need you to do to get you off our back, to get you to go home? And Sennacherib lays out some expensive price of silver and gold and he goes into his own uh, treasury and he takes all of that he has and it's still not enough so then he goes into the house of the Lord and he takes God's money out of the temple and it's still not enough so then he begins to cut gold off of the posts of the temple in order to pay Sennacherib to get him to go, go home and leave him alone this is a problem this is a problem And so I want you to begin to understand the problem. Now, look down at verse number 28 of chapter 18. And we see that this is still not enough. By the way, um, when you have someone who is um, a scorner in their heart and they're in opposition to you and they do not have a tender heart and you acquiesce and acquiesce and you cave and you cave and you give in and you give in and you compromise and you compromise, Listen, a person, a good-willed person, will take that compromise and be satisfied. Someone like a Sennacherib or a Shaka, who is his general, they're going uh, to take full advantage of that, and they're going, kind of like Hitler in World War II, they, they gave him some land to try to appease him, and you can't appease someone like a Hitler. They're just going to take it, and they're going to see that weakness, and they're going to keep taking more and more. And so now he's got all this money, and he's still coming at Jerusalem. So they go home, but then they come back. Look at verse 28. Then Rabshakeh, this is the general for Sennacherib. Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. So he's speaking in Hebrew and spake, saying, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, let not Hezekiah, your king, deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me. And then eat ye uh, every man of his own vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye even the waters of his Now, before I continue the reading, I want you to get the picture, all right? Sennacherib is standing outside the walls of Jerusalem, and the men of the town have gathered on top of the wall of defense. They're all standing out there, and Sennacherib has his soldiers on the outside of town, and the men of Jerusalem are standing up there, probably with some form of weapon, and and, and there's like a face-off going up, and Sennacherib is standing out here, and he's taunting the Jews in their Hebrew language, and he's saying... Listen, don't let your king make you think that somehow you can defeat our army. You will lose. Just go ahead and give up and come on out and join us. Look at verse 32. Until I come and take you away, uh, Sennacherib says, um, uh, to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and, and vineyards, uh, a land of olive and of honey that ye may live and not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. You can hear the mockery in his voice. Have any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Hey, other countries have claimed their gods would hold them up against the Assyrians, and that has never worked. Look at verse 34. Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arphat? Where are the gods of Seth, Ar, Ar, uh, uh, Hannah, and Eva? Uh, have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Hey, even the Jews north of you, even your brothers and cousins uh, in the ten northern tribes, uh, even that did not work. God did not protect us from taking even them. Verse 35. Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand but the people held their peace and answered him not a word for the king's commandment was saying answer him not can you see the pride of the Assyrians can you see Sennacherib standing outside of Jerusalem taunting and and bragging and saying don't think that Jehovah is going to defend, uh, uh, defend you against us because all these other nations have fallen and the gods they worship did not deliver and your God will not deliver either. This is not going to work. Just go ahead and surrender. Come on out and let this be done. We see the pride of God's enemies. And you know the pride of God's enemies caused them to taunt, uh, caused them to make threats, and caused them to make an, uh, an aggressive advance Against them. Notice number two, the prayer of God's people. The prayer of God's people. Go back to Isaiah 33, our, our text um, this evening, and look with me at verse number two. Here we find the Jews inside Jerusalem praying. As this is happening with Sennacherib and Rabshakeh uh, outside of the walls, inside the walls, this threat. Uh, 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 pushes God's people to their knees to pray. Look at verse 2. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. Look down at verse number 7. Look down at verse 7. It says, Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The... Wayfaring manner, the traveling man, ceaseth, he hath broken the covenant, he hath despised the cities, he regardeth no man, the earth mourneth and languisheth, Le- uh, Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down, Sharon is like a wilderness, and Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. What's going on here? What's going on here? The ambassadors of Judah that had been outside of the walls of Jerusalem. The other governors are now running into Jerusalem, and they're mourning, and they're weeping, and they're grieving. Why? Why are they so upset? They're upset because Sennacherib has taken one town out at a time. He's breathing down the necks of those in Jerusalem. He's already conquered much of Judah, and now there is weeping and mourning and remorse and regret and prayer being lifted up to uh, the God of heaven on behalf of, of Jerusalem and its threat. Go back to 2 Kings and look with me at chapter 19, and let's see how verses 2 and 7 and 9 play in context of this story. Look at chapter 19 and uh, look at verse 1. 2 Kings 19, verse 1, and let's read down through verse number 5. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household. And Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos This is the same Isaiah that we're studying uh, over a, a few books to the right. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will... "...hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left." So the servant of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. So uh, Hezekiah is instructing the servants what to tell Isaiah. He's saying, "Hey, hey, preacher, hey prophet, it's time for you to get on your knees. And call out to our God on our behalf. It's time for you to pray because our city is about to fall. Our city is about to be destroyed. Look down at verse 14. We see it wasn't only Isaiah that was called upon to pray. Look at verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter at the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between "...the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which have sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the king of Assyria have destroyed um, uh, the nations and their lands." and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beg Thee, I beseech Thee, save Thou us out of His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know Thou art the Lord God, even Thou only. Now, one thing I know from being a student of the Bible, is that when someone prays like this, God steps up every time and delivers. Every single time. When someone says, God, prove yourself that you are mighty. And that, that army out there doesn't matter. We're humble before you prove yourself. I can't find a time in scripture God steps back and goes, nah, I'm good. Every time God shows up and does something great. And we're going to see that right here. You know what happens when God's people pray? Listen to me. When God's people pray, God steps up and He flexes. He flexes for everyone to see. And God comes through in a powerful way. In a powerful way. I don't know what it is that uh, you need God to do for you. Step up and pray. And pray by faith. Pray with your hand out, trusting God to deliver. Uh, pray with desire. Pray with fervency. Pray with importunity. Uh, Pray in obedience and humility before God. Uh, Pray with a heart that is singular in that prayer life and watch what God does. When God's people pray, powerful things happen. Now, let's see how this story unfolds. We know that Sennacherib is right outside the walls. We know that he is threatened. Uh, What happened after that all right Uh, by the way the army outside the walls numbered in a hundred and eighty five thousand people a hundred and eighty five thousand soldiers standing outside of jerusalem jerusalem didn't have an army that came anywhere close to that Uh, from a strict military standpoint israel didn't stand a chance except for the fact that they had god on their side and so that's really all that you need to know. Uh, and, and, and by the way, they had God on their side. And as we see, they turned to God in prayer and God made up the difference. So we see the pride. We see the prayer. Let's look at number three, the punishment, the punishment of God's enemies. So the pride of God's enemies, the prayer of God's people, the punishment of God's enemies. Go back to verse three in Isaiah chapter 33. Uh, verse three says, at the noise Of the tumult the people fled. Now take note of that, because that right there is going to tie back into our story in 2 Kings in just a moment. The noise of the tumult the people fled. At the lifting up of thyselves the nations were scattered. And that's where you get the end time prophecy with that plural nations there. And your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar at the running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. Okay, what is this noise of the tumult? Go back to 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings 19 and look at verse number 6. So again, you have uh, you have Sennacherib outside the wall or rather Rabshakeh outside the wall. Sennacherib's the king, Rabshakeh is the general. You have Rabshakeh outside the wall. He rolls up in his chariot and he begins to, to, to and excuse me for using some slang here, but he, he begins to talk smack to the Jews there on the wall. And and, and he's just uh, uh, boasting and bragging and, 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 and threatening, and, and being a big bully is what he's being, and, and, and he's doing it in the Hebrew language, and and we didn't read this part of the story in Second Kings uh, chapter 18, but uh, those who are the leaders of Israel, they say to uh, Rabshakeh, they say, now hold on, we speak the Syrian language, just communicate to us in the Syrian language, and instead... He says, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to all those men up there on the wall. I'm going to speak in the Jewish language because I want them to know. And then the passage we read um, about the, hey, uh, lay down your swords and your spears, if you will, and come on out and let's end this thing peacefully. That's what was said. All right. So uh, the word gets back to... The word gets back to Hezekiah. Hezekiah sends his messenger to Isaiah to pray. Look what happens when Isaiah prays. Look at verse number 6, alright? Chapter 19, verse 6. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servant of the king of Assyria have blasphemed thee. Look at verse 7. Remember that noisome tumult, the noise of the tumult back in Isaiah 33. Look at verse 7. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Now, if you read from verse 8 down, what happens? There's a rumor that another nation is attacking them on another border. And so they pick up their soldiers and they leave the walls of Jerusalem in very short order. Now go back to Isaiah 33, look at verse 3 again. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. What is that? That's God stepping in and creating a diversion to get rid of the Assyrian army. And sure enough, they would leave, but then send a letter back to Jerusalem saying, Hey, we didn't forget about you. We're coming back For you. We're going to come back and take care of business. And that's where Hezekiah takes that letter. And lays it out before the Lord. And prays and says, God, we need you to do something big. And sure enough, the Assyrian army came back. But God was there to deal with the Assyrian army. Look with me at verse 32. uh, 2 Kings 19. Look at verse number 32 with me. And we're going to read down through verse number 37. The Bible says, Therefore... "...Thus saith the Lord, the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way which that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake, and it came to pass." That night, that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred and fourscore or a hundred and eighty five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Can you imagine being Sennacherib and waking up to that? You go to bed, and your army is ready to go to war the next day. You wake up the next morning and you've got 185,000 dead bodies in their tents, killed by the angel of the Lord. Ah, that would be a sight to behold. You're talking about having the fear of God struck down in your soul? What do you think Sennacherib thought when he woke up to see crows flying around as dead men, picking at their bones? Look at verse 36. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nis, uh, Nisroch, his god, that Ad, Adramelech and uh, Sharezer, his sons, smote him with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Armenia. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. Just like Isaiah said, God's going to take care of this army, and the king will be killed. And lo and behold, God's enemies were punished. Now go back at verse 1 of Isaiah 33. All right, I wasn't going to originally do this, but verse 1. Look here. Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou wast not spoiled, they, uh, uh, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt, dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled. What do you think the Israelites did? When they went out and found that camp of 185,000 dead bodies, I'm going to tell you what they did. They took every uh, every silver shekel they could out of every pocket. They took everything of value. They spoiled the Assyrians. They dealt treacherously with those that had dealt treacherously. What had been reaped was now being sown. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, That shall he also reap. The punishment of God's enemies. Hey, make no mistake about it. In the end, God always wins. He always wins. You know what God's looking for out of me and you? When things get tough especially, He's looking for me and you to get on our knees and pray. Pray. You say, i got a difficult situation at work. Get on your knees and pray. Hey, don't just try to figure it out on your own. You need to pray your way through that thing. You say, my boss is being unreasonable. When was the last time you got on your knees and prayed for your boss? And prayed God to change his heart? You say, I'm going through a very challenging time with my children or a spouse or a parent. How do I deal with this? Get on your knees and pray. And you know what? God's going to do one of two things. He's either going to change them or He's going to break them. He's going to change them or He's going to break them. God wants you to pray your way through it. I often have wondered, what if Hezekiah did not handle it the way he did? You know, Hezekiah had already taken money from the house of the Lord and given it to Sennacherib, and that was an offense to God. There's no question about that. And he would eventually repent and be forgiven of that. But what if he, after doing that, instead of running to Isaiah and running to the the, the Lord and laying out his complaint before the Lord, his problem for the Lord, what if Hezekiah had handled it by running away from the Lord? Do you think that maybe God would have allowed Assyria to uh, accomplish defeating? Jerusalem, I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. Hezekiah got on his knees and prayed. And when he prayed, the tide turned. The tide turned. God wants you to pray. You're having a financial issue? Pray about it. You're having a family issue? Pray about it. You're having a health issue? Pray about it. You're going through uh, difficulties at work? Pray about it. Uh, you, 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 you see uh, things in your own life that don't please the Lord, and you can't seem to get victory over that? Pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. Because when God's people pray, God steps up and does some incredible things. A hundred and eighty-five thousand soldiers wiped out in one night. One night. Why? Because Hezekiah got on his knees, along with the preacher, Isaiah. They laid out their complaint before the Lord. They laid out their struggle before the Lord. And God delivered. God delivered. Let me give you number four here. And um, I have six points. only Edward the Joe put the first four on the back of the outline. And so you'll want to come back next week. uh, The the fifth and sixth point uh, point to the millennial reign, okay? And so, but uh, the fourth point gets us through this portion of the Bible study. Notice number four the praise of God's creation. So we see the pride of God's enemies, the prayer of God's people, the punishment of God's enemies, and what ought to happen when God delivers for us? We should praise Him. I'm going to say something super, super simple tonight, and something you've probably all heard before, something we all need to be reminded of. Don't just ask God to do things for you. Praise Him after He comes through. Amen? Take the time to say thank you. Don't you hate it when you have a child ask you for something and you give it to them and they don't even say thank you? Don't you hate that? I hate that, right? Mr. Rogers taught me to say please and thank you when I was a little boy. And I'm thankful for Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Taught me a lot of good moral values. Please and thank you. My mom was on top of that. Please and thank you. And you know what? Oftentimes... We forget to say thank you to God when he comes through for us. We pray, Lord, help my uh, relative through a hard time. And then God helps our relative through a hard time. And then we never turn around and say thank you. I think of the ten lepers in the New Testament. And God healed the ten lepers. And they went and showed themselves to the high priest and were allowed back into a regular life routine. And after they were reinstated, only one came back to say thank you. Jesus looked at him and said, where are the nine? Where are the nine? I don't want to be one of the where are the nine. I want to be that leopard that runs to Jesus and says, you just changed my life. Thank you. Thank you. You know what happened when God did this for the Israelites? When God did this for the Jews? Great praise came to the Lord. Let's look at a couple of areas here of praise. All right. Uh, notice letter A. First, let's notice the Jews. The Jews praised the Lord. Go back to Isaiah 33 and look at verse number 5. The Bible says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. He hath filled Jerusalem with judgment and righteousness. Verse 6 and wisdom and knowledge. We all right? I thought a fire alarm was going off or something. That's all right. Verse 6, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Can you imagine being part of the Jews uh, there in Jerusalem and you're like quaking in fear? You're not eating. You're not sleeping. You know the end is near. You know that your northern... Neighbor, the, the, the Israelites, 10 northern tribes, you know they already got carried away by these guys. And, and you know, the prophet's saying everything's going to be okay, but you got 185,000 soldiers out there ready, ready to kill you. And then you find out that they all died at one time in one night. Can you imagine the praise the next day inside of Jerusalem? you imagine how the Jews felt about that? But it wasn't just the Jews that praised the Lord. Let her be Notice the Gentiles. The Gentiles. Look at verse 13. It says, Hear ye that are far off. That's speaking of the Gentile nation. What I have done. And ye that are near. That's speaking of the Jews. Acknowledge my might. Hey, the Gentiles need to pay attention and give homage. And the Jews need to take notice. Verse 14. The sinners. This is speaking of the Gentiles. The non-believers. The non-Jewish believers. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Now, that's not speaking of hellfire, okay? That's speaking of how God is a God who consumes those who are wicked. When God steps up and flexes his muscles, can I tell you who smiles and celebrates and jumps up and down? Those who are on God's side. When God flexes his muscles, can I tell you who isn't jumping up and down for joy? Those who are in opposition to God. They're not so excited about that. The idea that God could do that to them, and God could take that entire army out in one night, and I'm living in opposition to that guy, oh, that doesn't make me feel so good. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter 19. Look at verse number 20. We're almost done. 2 Kings 19, and look at verse number twenty. Let's read down through twenty five. The Bible says, Then Isaiah, the son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Did you say that again? Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. Siri's interrupting me here. All right. Not just you, Jael. I got it going on too, sister. All right. Technology's being a nuisance tonight. All right, let's let's try that again. All right. Uh, let's see. Where are we at? Verse, verse twenty. We'll pick up in 20. Okay, let's pick up in 21. Um, This is the word that the Lord hath spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee, and laughed thee to scorn. Uh, The uh, daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice, and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel by thy messengers thou hast reproached the lord and i said with the multitude of my chariots i am with the multitude of my chariots i am come up to the heights of the mountains to the sides of lebanon and will cut down the tall cedar trees thereof and the uh, the choice fir trees thereof and i will enter into the lodging of his borders and into uh, the forest of of his I have digged and drunk strange waters and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago what I have, uh, how I have done it and of ancient times that I have formed it. Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be um, uh, to lay waste fenced cities into ruined heaps. God is saying this isn't anything new for me. I am a God of justice, and when wrong is done, I will avenge that wrongdoing. Uh, Listen, to the Gentiles, they were told to sit up and take notice. You have a choice, Gentiles. You can convert to believing in Jehovah God, which would be equivalent to converting to Judaism, or you can continue to deny me and live underneath my wrath. Deuteronomy 4.24 and Hebrews 12.29, we find the same phrase. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Hey, I don't know about you. I want to be on God's team. I want to be on God's side. I don't want to be God's enemy. Because God is a God of justice. Yes, He's a God of love. Yes, He's a God of mercy. Yes, He's a God of grace. Yes, He's a God of forgiveness. But those who choose to live in opposition to God, He is a God of wrath. He's a God of judgment. He is a God of a consuming fire that will completely destroy and consume those who choose to live antithetical to Him. And so tonight, my encouragement to you is be on God's side. Praise God when He comes through. Praise God when He punishes wrongdoing. Uh, and get on your knees and pray and trust that God will come through for you the way He did for Hezekiah and the Jews. So that's the Bible study tonight. We're going to finish out chapter 33 next week. We're going to talk about, um, uh, from verse 15 down through the end of the chapter, we're going to talk about what it means when you are on God's team, uh, what comes about from that. Then we'll look at uh, the, the landscape of Jerusalem, the geographical landscape of Jerusalem, uh, prophetically, uh, and the end of chapter 33. Very fascinating. The landscape in Jerusalem is going to change. And we're going to talk about that out of both Zechariah and Isaiah 33 next week. Hope you'll be here for that.